Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have another great episode for you this week. Our special guest is John Eldridge, who is a best-selling author, counselor, and teacher. He and his wife, Stacy founded Ransomed Heart, a ministry that helps people discover God's heart and live into God's kingdom. Now, many of you know John through his writings, and some of his best-known books are The Journey of Desire, Walking with God, and Wild at Heart, which itself sold over 4 million copies in the U.S. alone. And now John's latest book, entitled All Things New, has just recently released. On this week's episode, John and I tackle some important and insightful topics, including how we can address the crisis of hope, which is so prevalent in our culture today. We talk about the beauty and importance of restoration as a key component of the gospel, and then we also take a look at some of the non-biblical views of heaven that many people cling to and why those views impact their understanding of life in Christ. So some excellent topics to really help us as pastors and ministry leaders. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into my conversation with John Eldridge. John, we're so excited to have you with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making the time to uh, to share with us. Oh, I'm, I'm so honored to be a, a part of your podcast and um, love what you're doing. And um, church leaders got a big place in my heart, counseled a lot of a lot of church leaders over the years, and I've got a real tender place in my soul for them. Awesome, brother. Well, well, I'm sure that they'll be encouraged by by what you have to share, and I'm super excited because you have this new book releasing, All Things New, and uh, it's a book that I think uh, a little different in some ways from a lot of books that you've written, but then as I'm reading through it, uh, also um, you see some things that resonate, this, this beauty that you've always seemed to capture in your books, the beauty of God and, and what that draws out of us and what that encourages within us. So I certainly appreciate this. Uh, I noticed that um, you've written that in our world today, we're experiencing a crisis of hope. And I believe that there are probably many who are listening today who would absolutely agree with your statement. Uh, but John, what do you mean by a crisis of hope? Yeah. So according to the World Health Organization, depression has now become the leading cause of disability worldwide, not just in the West. And uh, we do a lot of work with young people in our ministry, and we were looking at some data that suicide has become the leading cause of death for young people, uh, millennials in particular, uh, in the UK, and the second leading cause, or the first, depending on the data, in the US. So. I mean, you just see these indicators, you know, and then, of course, there's the addictions and the divorces and, you know, the rage that you see, the hatred online. I mean, all of these are symptoms, I think, of a deep, deep loss of hope. Yeah, no, no, I, I can see that. And and as we're talking to church leaders, I know that as Christ followers, we recognize that we, we see that that loss of hope. And then we respond uh, something along the lines of, yes, you know, things are bad, but Jesus is the hope of the world. And, and there's there's great truth in that. In your book, All Things New, you write this. I want to read it back to you. You write, Christianity is supposed to be the triumphant entry of an astonishing hope breaking into human history, an unbreakable, unquenchable hope. 
But I'll be honest, far too often what gets presented as the hope of Christianity feels more like a bait and switch. John, what do you mean by this bait and switch? Well, let me first tell you a story. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, we have a couple in our church uh, fellowship that um, suffered a just a tragedy a couple of years ago. Um, they were expecting their first child, and all the hopes and the dreams and young marriage and starting their family. And she went in for her eight-month um, checkup, and the child was dead. Mm. And they have no reason, no understanding why. So she had to go through a full um, labor to give birth to her dead child. Oh my! And when you face tragedy like that, and and every church leader does, like that is so rampant in the world: loss, suffering, and and what often feels like irrecoverable loss. What I mean by the bait and switch is, is the church has lost the gospel of restoration. And what we basically say to folks is, look, I know that I know God cares, Jesus understands, and one day you get to go to heaven. <clears throat> and in heaven you will worship the Lord and everything will be wonderful. But in Matthew 19, uh, 28 and 29, Jesus actually describes the promise like this. He says, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, all of you who have followed me and you have lost, and then he literally names loved ones, family, relationships. He goes on to name houses, lands, um, careers. It will all be restored to you in addition to eternal life. So, what I'm trying to say, Jason, is that the the bait and switch, we often tell people, look, your life is mostly loss, but in the end, you get to go to heaven. And instead, Jesus says, oh, no, I, I, I do intend to restore to you everything you have lost. And for this woman to understand, she will get her child back. And not only that, she will get back the years that were stolen from their family through that tragedy. Now that, that is a stunning hope. Well, yeah, let's dig in, John, a little bit more there. What what does the renewal of all things mean? What does this idea of that all things will be made new? When Jesus <clears throat> proclaims that that great hope, as you said, what does that mean yeah. for us practically? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Let's just start with the earth. So Revelation 21, uh, John sees the new Jerusalem, the city of God, and he sees it descending out of heaven to the earth. And God says, look, I'm making everything new, right? Behold, John says, I saw the heavens restored and the earth restored. So this is the first big aha moment. This is the first big shift for a lot of believers, is that you don't actually spend your eternal life in heaven. You spend it on a restored earth. In Acts uh, chapter 3, Peter's giving one of his famous sermons, and he says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. So the kingdom of God 
involves two great events. One is the restoration of the earth, which most people thought that, you know, God just vaporizes at some point and we all mm -hmm. leave it. So you have this incredible promise uh, of, of an unending life right here on the earth that we love and a restored earth, all the beauty, all the goodness. You know, that's Romans 8, right? That's right. Uh, Paul says that the it, creation itself groans for the day of its redemption. So that's a really big, that's a really big new thought for most of the Christians that I talk to, is that you get the earth back and with it this restoration. And and then um, if we push into it a little bit more, as I was as I was referring to um, in Matthew 19. Jesus says that the renewal of all things, but then he makes it very specific. He says, houses, lands, loved ones, um, tangible things, not, not the eternal church service in the sky, but the very things we have lost on the earth. And when, when Peter uses that, that expression in Acts 3, it's between 15 and 19, he says the time... Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. The Greek, as many of your listeners will remember, is apokatostasis. And the verb form of that is used in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus restores a man's withered hand. He heals the man's hand. He, he doesn't take the hand away. He doesn't give him wings. He restores his actual hand. And, and so the scriptures are very clear that God fully intends on restoration, not the replacement of one reality with, uh, I don't know, a heavenly reality or some other reality. Right. So how does our understanding of this eternal life, you know, eternity, what that's going to look like, how does that change our current experience? Let's make this very, very specific. The, the typical church leader's experience is one that is filled with a great deal of disappointment. <clears throat> I used to work on a church staff. I've worked on the staff of large Christian ministries, and I've counseled, gosh, thousands of Christian leaders over the years. <clears throat> and there is so much betrayal uh, the church leaders experience. There's so much disappointment you know, things just aren't as good as they dreamed that they would be. You know, that it's not growing like they thought it would, or it doesn't turn out like they thought it would. You know what I'm talking right, about. Right. <clears throat> the marriage stresses. Okay, so you just go to your own personal experience, and you say, if you believed in your heart of hearts that there is nothing that can be stolen from you that God will not completely restore, there is no loss that we can experience, no betrayal, no disappointment that God does not fully intend on actually restoring to us. That frees you to forgive. It frees you to release people. It, it frees us to live with the partial now, knowing that in very, very specific ways, very tangible ways to our own story, we are going to experience a total restoration. It, 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 it is so hopeful, it's, it's almost breathtaking. 
Yeah, so this this idea of God's future restoration, you know, the the reality of that, not just words. And I think oftentimes in the church, you know, we we talk about renewal and restoration, and and they're kind of encouraging things. But but you're talking about the actual physical, you know, tangible restoration that that God is going to bring together. Um, Whenever, you know, the new heaven comes to the new earth and, and we have this experience and that can provide almost a sense of healing for us even now in the midst of the disappointments, as, as you've said, in the the brokenness that we're experiencing. Correct. That That's a good word. Um, I like the word healing. I think it actually does heal the soul when you understand that these losses are not permanent it actually helps to begin the healing process in those disappointments and frustrations. And my goodness, anyone who cares about the gospel of Christ, you look at the world today and you just go, Jesus, like, come back, set the world right. And when you understand that he fully intends to do that, right? like that's a real thing. Right, right. right. We're not talking about parables or metaphors or similes. Again, Revelation 21, 21 verse 5, he who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. He does not say, I am making all new things. Mm. In other words, um, this was very important to Dallas Willard's teaching, and I know that I know that a number of your listeners really had a lot of respect for Dallas. Dallas was trying to help the church understand that re- reality This life and our coming eternal life is a continuity. Mm. It's not one thing, then another. Um, And and it's one unending existence. Like you literally don't die. Right. You don't die. And then you look at the, the forerunner is Jesus. And you look at the life of Jesus after his resurrection. And what is so remarkable is how ordinary it looks right right he he goes to dinner he hangs out with his friends he meets them at the beach one day they have a cookout it they recognized him it was still jesus he wasn't he didn't he didn't turn into a heavenly being he didn't become something else like of course he has those beautiful scars that he retains uh, but they're glorious now You see the continuity of existence. You will be restored absolutely, totally, completely. And the world that you love will be restored absolutely, totally, completely. And we see the forerunner of that in Jesus Christ. And as we begin to, to recognize, wait a second, wait a second. It isn't the great airlift to heaven. It is total restoration and I, I would clarify, I'm not a universalist. It's total restoration for the children of God. You know, Jesus makes that clear right. when, he, when he promises the renewal of all things. He says, you who have followed me. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not preaching a, a gospel of universal restoration, but I am saying for the children of God, um, nothing can be taken from you that will not completely be restored. That's excellent. And as you're talking about that continuity, um, that kind of leads into uh, one of the things that you really focus in that in, in your book that that I absolutely loved, and that was you dedicated a full chapter to the idea that when this restoration comes, 
each of our stories will be told rightly. Now, can you explain for us what do you mean by that and why is this so significant? I love this. <clears throat> okay, this is huge. This is huge. Jason, I have, I have not talked to one Christian over the last 30 years, not one, who was living with an actual expectation of reward. I mean, the older saints used to talk about this all the time, the hope of reward, the, the, um, the abundance that was coming to us. You know, Paul's teaching that, look, you know, whether you build with, you know, wood, straw, stubble or, or gold, silver, precious stones, your work will be revealed and it will be rewarded. OK, so the idea of a coming reward. And, and I think about <clears throat> I think about that pastor who serves in a small congregation. He doesn't. It didn't grow like he hoped it would, and and people aren't as committed to Christ as, as he prays that they would be, and they're petty. Uh, the elder board is constantly criticizing him. That guy who serves faithfully all those years, his story will be told rightly, and he will be rewarded for it. All of those hidden choices, all of those decisions to overlook an offense, to forgive that person for the hundredth time. When we step into the kingdom, into the fullness of the kingdom of God, one of the things that takes place is the, is the handing out of the dispensation of rewards. And again, this is very tangible stuff, by the way, in the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus talks about the dispensation of rewards in very practical terms. They're given houses, lands, literally kingdoms uh, to the sheep. He says, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. <clears throat> now, in order for those rewards to be properly given and for justice to be served, your story has to be told rightly. And I, I remember as a brand new Christian, I came to Christ back in the 70s in the Jesus movement. And there was a lot of tracks that were being used on the streets in those days. And I remember one very clearly. It was the great white throne judgment. And, and this faceless giant being that was supposed to be God um, and all the world assembled before him. And they showed it. They showed a video of your life is going to be played and you're going to be horrified. Well, not for the children of God. Mm. Uh, there, Romans A1, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. A lot of people picture the telling of their story as a source of shame and exposure, judgment. But, but we know that that is not the case for the followers of Christ. There is no judgment. There is no shame. Instead, what is spoken of is this rewarding of your life and, and, and the truth of your life finally being told well. And, and I, think, I think especially for the, for the church leadership, like that is a massive, you will be vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I just want to yell it. You will be vindicated. Right. That's a great word of encouragement, a great word of encouragement, especially, as you said, those who are who are serving the church, because oftentimes we're in the midst of being being faithful 
day in and day out, and it's not always easy, right? It's it's mm. very challenging, and it can, it can be a, a you know one of those places and positions that you know you wonder of all the all the work that you're doing, what impact is it really making? And and what you're saying is that guess what? We're going to be able to see that impact, and you know Jesus is going to celebrate that impact that we don't even know today. I'm going to celebrate that very personally, very intimately. Yeah, I, I love I love the parable of the sheep and the goats when the sheep say to him, well, when when did we visit you, Jesus? When what are you talking about? When right. did we do that? Like he saw it. Right, right. He says, I was sick and you you came to me and you know that whole parable. What's what's so intimate about the story is he sees it. He sees it. And though it may be unappreciated or only partially appreciated, um, most Christian ministry experience is filled with massive misunderstanding, people misunderstanding your motives, people misunderstanding your actions, people not appreciating the depth of what you're trying to offer in your discipleship. That was That is going to be intimately acknowledged. It's not like there's just this sweeping thing and, okay, Ted Smith, come on up. Okay, Ted, you know, here's your reward. We're, Ted is getting the reward for most improved. You know? <laughs> it's not that. It's not just this sweeping um, welcome to the kingdom, welcome to heaven, you know, here's your mansion. It's a very intimate recognition of the story of your life, and the healing uh, of our souls, and and then the the vindication, the vindication of our life's choices, and everything that was criticized, everything that was misunderstood or or, or unappreciated, Jesus is going to very specifically reward those things, and and the rewards are breathtaking. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna thrill our hearts with joy. And and guys, like gals, if we could live, if we could live with an expectation of that, like that would carry us through so much of this present darkness. Yeah, that's beautiful, John. Thank you for for sharing that. I, I I imagine there are men and women right now listening to this podcast that needed needed to hear that encouragement. So thank you, brother. We we, we love that. Now, in speaking of the new earth. In the book, you reference uh, places like Narnia, Pandora, and Middle Earth. How do these help us understand the biblical idea of the new earth? Ecclesiastes says he has set eternity in the heart of man, mankind. There is something of the truth and the nature and the hope and the promise of eternity that is actually set deep within the human personality. And so you're going to see that leak out. And, and I think one of the places it leaks out is, is in, the, in the movies that we make and the stories that we love. And you, and you look at the, the great stories that really capture people's hearts. There is always a happily ever after. There is always some great restoration. Um, and so, of course, at the end of the Narnia series, you know, I love, I love the book, The Last Battle. Um, and if, if folks, if you haven't read that recently, I think it will really help you get some perspective on the world today. Lewis was a very, very bright man, and he knew what was coming. 
Um, so he takes you through kind of the end of the age, so to speak, and then and then there's the restoration and and what the children, Peter and Edmund and Susan and Lucy and the others, what they're so shocked about is that heaven looks an awful lot like Narnia. <laughs> it's, it, 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 is, it is literally the restoration of the very things they hold dear. But you see it, you see it at the end of The Lord of the Rings. And of course, uh, Tolkien was a very devout Catholic believer. And he very intentionally put the restoration in there, the, the restoration of Gondor. And for heaven's sakes, the king returns. I mean, <laughs> it, it, right? It, yeah. This, this is, okay, eternity is set in the heart of man. Right, and you look at the great stories and you go, the human race is longing for a day of restoration. And then, then you start opening up the scriptures and you go, wait a second, like, <clears throat> I thought we just went to heaven. I did. I, I mean, that was my theology for 20 some years. And, and you start looking at the promises and you go, wait a second, Romans 8, it says all creation not just certain parts of creation, all creation groans for the day of its redemption when the sons and daughters of God are revealed. So wait a second, wait a second. So the earth and what else? Uh, <clears throat> because clearly the new earth is promised, but I don't think we've unpacked that a little bit. So are there trees on the new earth? Well, well of course there is. Like God's not just going to hand you a ball of dirt. <laughs> You know, it's it's the earth. It's quote the earth you love. It's the whole thing, gang. It's the it's the um, the plant life and the flowers and the waterfalls. All of that is actually going to be restored. And then you go back into some of the Old Testament prophecies, and of course Isaiah is one who's written on this very very deeply and very intimately. And I think Jesus was referring to this, by the way, in his teaching, because when he promises the renewal of all things. He actually doesn't give it a long explanation. And he's he's assuming that his listeners, the, the Jewish disciples that were sitting there before him in the moment, knew exactly what he was talking about. And so you go back into Isaiah, for example, and you have all those things of the wolf will lie down with the lamb, right? The mm -hmm. lion will eat straw with the ox, and the bear and the cow will graze in the same pasture. You, you have lions and bears and oxen and, and baby goats and all these things are listed very specifically in the, in the new earth. And you go, okay, either that's a metaphor. <laughs> you go, a metaphor for what, <laughs> uh, I would ask. But, or, or you have the God fully intends on restoring the animal kingdom. Um, we don't come back to an uninhabited earth. In fact, here's the real mind blower. <clears throat> if you look at the whole story of God um, and you watch, you watch this repetition it, in the beginning of the human story, uh, Genesis chapter one, the Hebrew actually is when God began to create heaven and earth, obviously things existed before uh, the earth, God existed before it, the angels existed before it, but when God, the human story begins, God creates this incredibly beautiful earth, and he gives it to Adam and Eve, he gives it to the human race, and he tells us to reign. 
And he gives us all these creative powers. He gives us the ability uh, to, you know, of architecture and music and literature and physics and science, all of that. Um, and then he tells us to raid. All right. And then, and then, you know, the shipwreck, Genesis three, the long story of human tragedy. And then, if you watch what he does, our loving and creative Father restores the earth. He restores us and then he tells us to do exactly what he told adam and eve to do the second time around he says and they will reign on the earth and so you see um eden is recovered mm. genesis is restored in fact in fact it's very fascinating the word that jesus uses in <clears throat> matthew nineteen twenty eight. the greek is palingenesia um and it's it's uh a conjunction, palling meaning again, genesia, genesis. Wow. Uh, genesis again. Uh, so yes, the animals, yes, the trees, yes, the waterfalls. I mean, God's not going to send us all back to rain on a ball of clay. Like rain over what? Right, right. That's that's awesome. It's beautiful. You know, it's fascinating too. Whenever, um, whenever you break it down, whenever we we, we dig into scripture. And really get to the heart of scripture. I mean, especially, you know, go back to the original languages you just did, you know, Genesis again. We're sitting here like, uh, you know, like, how could we miss that? And yet we do miss so much of that. So can you kind of break down for us, you know, some of the ideas about heaven that many cling to that are not necessarily biblical and, and clearly what scripture actually says about heaven? Because I, th I think that's that's one of the big things that your book kind of brings out is this idea that there are a lot of things that we've just kind of attached to heaven that aren't necessarily biblical. Mm -hmm. And yet when we get into scripture, you know, we can see with, with clarity, like just, that was just a perfect example, you know, Genesis again, you know what I mean? That's a perfect example. How, when we really get into scripture, there, there's this clarity that comes about what eternity is really going to look like. So what are some of those myths that we're kind yep. of stuck mm -hmm. on and, and can yep. you kind of help us wade through some of that? Yeah, that's good, Jason. Yeah. And you can, and you can, you can kind of feel your hope rising a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Even, <laughs> even, even as we're having this conversation. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So let's just start with the classic phrase. I do not know how many times I've been in a church service and, and bless them, bless them, the worship leaders up there, you know, and they say, I can't wait till we get to heaven and we get to worship the Lord forever. Okay. So that's one big thing. What do we do in heaven? We worship God forever. Well, First off, we have seen that we don't spend our eternal life in heaven. We actually spend it on the new earth. So that's a pretty big uh, shift. <clears throat> but this idea of heaven is the eternal worship service. Well, no, no, of course we will worship God. My goodness, all of life will finally be worship. Yes, but, but the thing is, he tells us to reign. Uh, the parable of the... Uh, talents and the parable of the minus, right? When the master returns and a man of noble birth went away to have himself appointed king. Okay, that's obviously Christ. And when he returned, he called his servants together. Um, and to the faithful, he gives them the estate. He doesn't send them to church. He, he, he says, look, you've been faithful over a little. Now take dominion over all of my kingdom." So we can't be sitting around singing all the time if we're actually joining God in the running of the kingdom. In, in, in the, I think it's the heavens and the earth, by the way. It's the whole thing. We get the universe, all of it back. 
So this idea that we just sing forever has been really, really defeating for a lot of faithful Christians. In fact, um, what, what's just astounding is uh, this this precious um, this precious couple that lost this child uh, that I told you about at the beginning of the podcast. I actually received I hadn't heard from them <clears throat> for a long time. I actually received an email from them yesterday. And in it, <clears throat> here's what the woman says. She says, uh, I want to thank you for writing all things new. How she got a copy of it, I have no idea. I can't tell you fully what it did for my heart because I don't even have the words yet. But I can tell you that I have a hope and a peace that I haven't felt in many years. My faith had grown very dim, more than I realized until I read about the hope that I've never heard before. And then this is it. I've been one of the many who guiltily wondered if heaven would be boring. We're going to sing holy, holy, holy for eternity? So to answer that and say, nope, you're not. Right. I've, got some, I've got some great news for you. Okay, so um, that leads me to the second thing. What do we do in heaven? Now, this, this is absolutely breathtaking. <clears throat> I'm going to put my heart, I'll just put my cards on the table right now. What you do in eternity, what you do here on the new earth, is you do everything that you were born to do. Because we, we don't just sit around looking at God or one another. We are clearly invited with him to reign. That, that's, that's very, very clear in Revelation. We will reign with him forever. In fact, there's this fascinating, in Revelation 22, when it's talking about the uh, New Jerusalem, it says, and the kings of the earth will bring their treasures into it. Well, wait a second. Who are these kings? What are these treasures? Clearly, our creative father creates us as very creative sons and daughters. All that latent gifting in you, that book you never wrote, that your ability for leadership, your, your musical talents, your, um, your scientific brilliance, all of that. When God restores you, he restores all your gifting. He doesn't take it away. You will become more you than you ever were. Wow. Okay? So you are totally restored. And with you, all of your gifting, all of your talents, your intellect, your creativity, but now, now fully empowered by the Spirit of God. No more brokenness, no more sin, no, no more partial. Like, we will be very, very powerful in the kingdom of God, okay, because we, we will be glorious. And then he takes those restored men and women and he puts them in a restored world, a restored universe, and he tells us to do what he told Adam and Eve to do. He says, reign with me, and they will reign with him forever. So what do we do in heaven? We don't sing. You actually do all those things that you were designed to do. And this is so hopeful. I think for every human being, but particularly for people in Christian ministry, when they just, you know, they realize I never got a chance to fulfill that gifting. I never got a chance to chase that dream. I want to say, oh, you will. Mm -hmm. You will. Okay. Let me just name one more right now. So we don't worship God forever in, a, in like a sing-along. Uh, of course we worship God. All of life will be worshiped. But, but we will reign with him on the earth, meaning, secondly, that all your gifting— 
all your potentiality, all of that creativity within you, all that makes you you, actually you get to live that out fully in the, in the new earth. Okay, so you get to fulfill your calling completely. And then thirdly, just to show you like how real this is, did, did you notice that we eat and drink in the new earth? Mm. Right? Right. Yes. Like <laughs> this is this is real stuff, folks. Like it, it's a continuity of existence. It's not one thing now and something totally different later. So clearly there's the wedding feast of the Lamb. Right. And Jesus says to his disciples at the at the beautiful uh, last supper, he says, I won't drink again of the fruit of the vine. I won't I won't have wine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. So Jesus is fully intending on having a glass of wine with you in the coming <laughs> kingdom. All right. So it's just it's just a beautiful way of illustrating. Wait a second. We eat, we drink, we play, we work. Yes. Yes. You do all those things that that make you a human being. I love that, brother. I love that. So good. So we've had some great conversation here. I want to give you one opportunity um, before we close down as as we're speaking to pastors and ministry leaders, is there anything that you would like to to say to them um, that maybe we haven't touched on yet, but that you'd like to directly share with with pastors, ministry leaders who are out there today serving the church? Well, I, I just have to go back to something that we, we touched on, is that every one of your hidden choices, every one of your sacrifices, all of your personal suffering that no one understands, and, and you don't have the liberty to share with people. Like, everything is going to be told rightly. And, and you will be not only vindicated, but you are going to be rewarded for this heroic life that very few people see and very few people understand right now. Like, your story is going to be told and, and, and with such celebration and such joy and the rewards giving with such specificity, not just a blanket, well done, but very specific rewards. And then, and then you get to live out the fullness of your gifting in the coming kingdom. Like that is the only hope that is going to get us through this life in which everything, everything is partial. Everything is partial. Like we, we have a great day coming. I just, I just, I just want pastors and, and church leaders and people in ministry and missions to, man, if we could get that into our hearts, it would really sustain us. Amen, brother. Well, John, it's such a joy to have you with us. Some great encouraging words. And uh, and I just want to encourage everyone, um, you run out and, and pick up a copy of All Things New, Heaven, Earth, and the Restoration of Everything You Love. This is John Eldridge's um, latest book. And uh, we've been talking about today some fantastic things in there, great encouragement, some eye-opening things, really digs into Scripture and kind of the biblical idea of what that restoration will, will really be like and, and the beauty of that fullness that we get to step into with, with Christ. So, brother, thank you so much for taking the time again. Love you. Appreciate yeah, your man. ministry. Thank you so much, Jason. Great to be with you today. 
I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.